to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 33 through 37. This is found uh, uh, in your in your large print sheets as well. Matt, uh, so it's on pages. 1308, continuing on to 1309, if you're using a pew Bible, 1308, continuing on to 1309. Matthew 5, starting in verse 33, going to verse 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off that old Lone Ranger. And you don't mess around with Jim. Some of us can remember that song from half half a century ago, hard to believe. And of course, what's the point of it? The point of it is that there are some things that you just don't mess with, right? There are some things in life that are sacred, if you will, and with which you don't mess except at your own peril. And so, my friends, the name of God or we could say the revelation of himself is the most important of those things. Jim may get beaten up in that song, which he does, replaced by Slim, the guy from South Alabama. And even Superman is not omnipotent. But God is. And you don't mess around with the name of God. Now we've been doing a study in the law of God and including most recently the first three commandments. The first, of course, tells us the who of worship, the object of our worship. It is the true and the living God. The second is the what of worship, the means of our worship. 
That is to say, the substance of it, the elements or the parts of worship, each of which uh, is prescribed, each of which is ordained, is ordered, is commanded by God. And therefore, as you know, we try to be very careful in Presbyterianism and the Presbyterian faith of doing those things and only those things in worship that God has commanded. And the third commandment gives us the how of worship, the manner and attitude of our worship, which, as we have seen over the last several weeks, is that of reverence, that of reverence. The third commandment requires a reverent use of all by which God reveals himself of everything by which God reveals himself. As we have noted, that includes God's revealed character, such as his names, his titles, his attributes or characteristics, which are bound up in his names and titles. Also, God's ordinances, the things that he has ordained, particularly for our edification, things like the sacraments, and preaching. And we could also say, although it's not specifically in terms of worship, we could also say his discipline and how he reveals his character by means of church discipline. Also, a reverent use of God's word, particularly the inspired, inerrant, infallible scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. As we have noted, we are to attend the scriptures, the the word of God. We are to attend it with care, diligence, carefulness, preparation, and prayer. We are to receive it with faith and love. We are to lay it up in our hearts, and we are to practice it. But also... God's works, his works particularly are creation and providence, creation and providence. I may have mentioned in the past about Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher in this country from uh, not quite 300 years ago, his uh, perhaps most famous, the most famous sermon in American history, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But Jonathan Edwards was also a scientist. He was one of the early scientists, if you will. He loved studying spiders. Isn't that wonderful? Loved studying spiders to see the glory of God, the wonder of God. He also loved to go out in a thunderstorm and experience the glory of God in terms of that. And so we think of creation. We think of, of the, the way in which this world is made but also the way in which God governs the world. So creation and providence, God reveals something about himself in terms of the way this world has been put together. Well, that's the positive side, and now we come to the negative side today. What does the third commandment forbid? The third commandment forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. So now this is the negative side. So the positive side, we are to be, to treat it with reverence, the word and so forth. But now the negative side is we are prohibited 
from doing the opposite, from treating God's word with disrespect or with irreverence. Well, first of all, then, today, we look at God's revealed character, at God's revealed character, and how are the ways in which we can treat God's revealed character in a sinful way. So the first thing I want to note here is irreverence, irreverence. For example, thinking lightly or irreverently regarding these sacred things, and especially to do so with malice or hatred in our hearts or despising of God. You know, the prophet Malachi says in Malachi 1 verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Let me pause there just a moment. Think about that. That's the way it's supposed to be. A son honors his father and a servant, slave, his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. He's saying it to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And so we see then the idea of irreverence, of thinking slightly or irreverently with regard to these things, of not taking them seriously, of not being sincere when we are dealing with God. And particularly speaking irreverently regarding God himself. I may step on a few toes today. I hope that's okay. So let me give, let me give some examples of how we speak irreverently regarding God. For example, making use of these things in ordinary conversation without any sense of awe. Making use of these things in ordinary conversation without any sense of awe. How many times, <coughs> I'll speak to myself, how many times have you heard, has someone sneezed and you immediately say, God bless you, without really meaning it or thinking about it? I mean, God, it's good to be blessed, right? We want God's blessing. And yet we use that term flippantly as a, almost like a superstition. Using God's name as well in a flippant or unthinking manner. And by the way, this can happen, first of all, during prayer or other religious exercises. You know when I, you know when I catch myself doing that? many times before a meal. Because what do we do? It's almost by ritual. We say a grace. And we don't really think about it. 
We don't really pause to think about what we are doing when we use the name of God and thank him for the food. But it can also be done just in ordinary conversation. How many times do people say, oh God, and not really consider what they are saying? Or what we call euphemisms for God, golly. You know, that's a euphemistic term that refers to God. Gee, gee whiz, Jesus, gosh. Again, the same thing. Even if we don't use God, even these euphemistic terms are violation of the third commandment. We need to be careful as well because in terms of God's attributes as well as his name. Why mercy? Why gracious? You see. We use terms like that that are among the attributes of God very casually. And we need to be very careful about that. So irreverence. But secondly, sinful swearing. Sinful swearing. And here, uh, we talked last week about oaths and vows and talked a bit about that. But today, I want to look at the negative side, that is to say, the overuse or abuse of oaths. And this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 5, what we read today, uh, verses 33 through 37, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's not saying don't swear, don't take an oath, because clearly God has established oaths and vows. But what Jesus is getting at is don't have the situation in which you have to use oaths in order for people to think that you're actually telling the truth. Okay? So you should use oaths only, as we talked about last week, on special occasions, like in court. So using an oath or a vow at the drop of a hat is an overuse and therefore an abuse of that. There was also the whole idea here of uh, in the Jewish understanding uh, during the time of Jesus was that, well, as long as we don't swear by the name of God, we just swear by um, by heaven, we just swear by the earth, or we swear by the temple or whatever, it's okay, because we're not swearing by the the literal name of God. Again, that is a false understanding. That's false swearing. And another way of engaging in false swearing is not taking an oath or vow seriously or taking it without intention to keep it. Crossed fingers. There's a book by the late Dr. Gary North, crossed fingers, how the liberals took over the Presbyterian church. How did they do it? Because they swore allegiance to the standards of the church, but actually they had the other hand behind them with crossed fingers. They didn't really mean it. And that's how they were able to infiltrate the, the, the ecclesiastical apparatus. And so take, not taking an oath or vow seriously, that could be membership vows, that could be marriage vows, or taking them, taking those without an intention to keep them. 
or, as we looked at last week, vowing to do something evil. So we're going to uh, get together. We're going to conspire to rob a bank. Not really, but, you know, if we did, right, that would be wrong to take a vow to that effect. Or it would be wrong, hear me carefully, it would be wrong to vow to raise your children in a false church, such as uh, Roman Catholicism. Okay? And so vowing to do something evil. Or then keeping a sinful oath is false swearing. So we, we've agreed to rob the bank. Oh, we want to keep our word. No, no, no. What you did was wrong. It was sinful to take the vow. It is now worse to carry it out. You must, the, the sin is by making the sinful vow to start with. Or by swearing by anything other than God or acting as if he is not our ultimate authority. Swearing by anything other than God, or acting if he is not our ultimate authority. I won't uh, go into any details here if you all want to ask me afterwards about what should be our responsibility in terms of oaths to the U.S. Constitution. I'd be very happy to speak with anyone later about that. So, irreverence, sinful swearing, cursing. Cursing. For example, using the Lord's name in a cursing manner. Or otherwise as well. You see, um, it, it is only God who can damn and curse. And that is why the use of hell and damn should not be used lightly or presumptuously. One of you uh, a couple of weeks ago asked me about that. What about I have friends or I have acquaintances who, who use uh, GD? How do I address that and so forth? Well, for one thing, we need to point out that it is only God who sends people to hell. It's only God who damns. And that's why we don't want to put ourselves, as it were, in the place of God. And this, by the way, applies to euphemisms as well. People say, well, I won't say hell, I'll say heck. I won't say damn, I'll say darn. But actually, those are just euphemistic terms for hell and damn. And so cursing. But also, fourthly, blaspheming God's name. Blaspheming God's name. And this entails speaking against anything whereby he makes himself known. Speaking against anything whereby he makes himself known. In uh, uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 18, Verses uh, 28 and following. Then the Rabshakeh stood. This is with regard to Sennacherib and Hezekiah. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. 
Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpat? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. In other words... This representative of King Sennacherib of the Assyrians was mocking God. He was blaspheming God. God has said, I have sworn these are my people. I can protect them. I will protect them. And yet, here you have this representative of the great Sennacherib blaspheming God and his glory. And so we think about speaking against anything whereby God makes himself known, including his word, taunting and jesting with regard to him. And by the way, there's a parallel passage to what I just read. Uh, uh, There's a parallel passage in uh, Isaiah Uh, chapter uh, 37. In Isaiah chapter 37, we have where Hezekiah lays this before the Lord. Where he lays, he prays to God. He lays before the Lord. Look, that that, um, uh, here, this, uh, the the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, the Lord says. Verse 7, surely I will send a spirit upon him. He shall hear a rumor and return to his own land And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. You go on, Hezekiah offers this prayer, verse 15, O Lord of, verse 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, the angels, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands. Wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. In other words, King Hezekiah is saying, Lord, show thyself for who thou art. Thou art not a false god. Thou art not one of these idols that are no gods at all. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. And by the way, we 
we know, of course, how it turned out. If you look at verse, at verse 36, then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. You see, God is not mocked. And it's far worse to deal with the true and the living God than it is to pull the mask off that old lone ranger. Because when we deal with God, we're dealing with him who is all-powerful and all-knowing and who will not be mocked. He says in the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that leads us then to consider the other scripture passage we read today besides Matthew 5, and that is Leviticus 24. Turn with me to Leviticus 24 then. Very interesting passage. Leviticus chapter 24. So you have this, this, what happened here. The son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel. This Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. So notice it was a mixed, mixed marriage here in terms of the religion, right? And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. They put him in ward, in custody, that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who is cursed, then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Did you notice something interesting? Did you notice how the next few verses seem sort of out of place almost? Did you notice that? So in other words, God immediately goes here to what we call the the lex talionis. That's the fancy way of saying the idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay? So whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make a good animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. Whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death, and so forth. And then, picks up in verse 23 with the outcome of the trial. They took outside the camp him and cursed and stoned him with stones. Now why, verses 17 and following, inserted here? Seems almost out of place, doesn't it? I think what is going on here is 
that this principle, he's, God is reminding Moses and the people of this principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In other words, the punishment should fit the crime. Okay? The punishment should fit the crime. And that's precisely why this young man was put to death. Because he blasphemed. He attacked, you see, the very majesty and the sovereignty and the rule of God. And just as you have throughout the law the punishment fitting the crime, so you have here. You don't mess with the name of God. We all know how jealous we are for our own good name and how precious our name is to us and how we hate it when we are not regarded respectfully when we're attacked by name. How do you think God feels about it? And so we have irreverence and sinful swearing and cursing and blasting in God's name and finally today a superstitious use. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. In other words, in Jeremiah 7 verse 4, the people, what were the people of God doing? They were just using the name, the temple of the Lord. And so it is that God's name is, can be used superstitiously, as in charms or incantations. Is this not what Simon Magus was guilty of in Acts chapter 19? Simon the magician, chapter 19 of Acts, verse 13. Actually, this is, I'm sorry, this is not Simon. This is with regard to the itinerant Jewish exorcist, verse 13. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise, we cast you out by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. There were seven sons of Siva, Jewish chief priests, who did so. I love this. This is so funny. This is one of those great amusing passages in scripture. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. In other words, what were they doing? They were using the name of Jesus in a uh, as, as if it was a magic like abracadabra that was a superstitious use and so when we use the name of God superstitiously we are treating his name with disrespect now I have two points uh, two observations and then a brief application the, first of all I want to note that the notion of blasphemy this notion of blasphemy is ingrained into every one of us as a reflection of the law of God. We've heard of the cancel culture today, the wokeness today. The current wokeness with its cancel culture is a manifestation of anti-blasphemy, is it not? 
censorship. Censorship is a reflection of trying to protect whatever God or value is in vogue. That's why people are afraid to share their views, for example, particularly Christian views, on the internet because they might get canceled. They might get censored. So the point is, is that that impulse, if you will, is ingrained in every one of us as a reflection of the law of God. It can be used righteously if we honor the true and the living God, or it can be used very wickedly, which is what we're seeing in our society today. But it's ingrained, this whole notion of there being some things that are sacred is ingrained in every one of us. And also, in the ultimate sense, blasphemy is against only the true and the living God. Therefore, blasphemy cannot, properly speaking, be against Allah, nor can it be against any false system of thought, for example, Marxism, communism, including the Black Lives Matter movement, and scientism, the idea that we get all of our wisdom from science. And now two points of application. Number one, think. Think. How careful are you about the name of God? Thomas Watson was a great Puritan from the 1600s. He put it this way. To bring his, that is God's name, in at every turn when we are not thinking of him or to say, oh God, is to take his name in vain. How many are guilty here? Though they have God in their mouths, they have the devil in their hearts. How careful are you about the name of God? Indeed, we could say how desensitized have we become on this issue in terms of listening to TV programs and so forth. And especially we need to realize that when we swear an oath we are reflecting God's own swearing. He vowed, God himself vowed. We talked about this last week from Genesis 15. Remember when he appeared to Abram? And he gave a promise to Abram, your, your descendants will be as the stars of heaven, sprinkled across the dome of heaven. Can you count them? I, pro- I will be your God, you will be my people. And remember what he did before he passed through, before he passed before Abram with that burning furnace, which is a manifestation of his presence and his glory. What did he tell Abram to do? To cut the animals in pieces. Why? Because God was saying, as it were, let him be torn in pieces if he didn't keep his own word. Now, of course, we know it's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie, but you get, you get the point. 
God did that in front of his heavenly court, in front of the angels. Realize that when we swear, even when we do it properly, we are reflecting God's own swearing. And therefore, think, what are you doing? And you use the name of God. The second point of application is this. Thank God for the sacrifice of Christ. Blasphemy, as we saw here, warranted the death penalty. It is certainly a horrible sin against God. The only unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is sinning with a high hand and which cannot be forgiven when it is persisted in without repentance, precisely because it denies and rejects the only means of salvation which God has revealed in his Son and in his word. That's the unpardonable sin. But my friends, Christ is the way of salvation. He was accused of blasphemy, falsely so because he actually is God. But he was accused for, of blasphemy. And Christ did die for us. The just for the unjust. The blessed one for the cursed. Namely, you and me. And so, my friends, I call upon you to thank God for the sacrifice of Christ, for his paying the penalty for our blasphemy. I urge you to come to Jesus and to trust in him. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? Oh, God. Oh, God. We pray that thou wouldst have mercy on us. Give us the grace, O oh Lord, to love thee. Give us the grace to honor thee. Give us the grace to trust in thy salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Give us the grace to resist all temptation with regard to keeping thy name holy. We pray, O Lord, that in our society today we would see people and particularly those who profess faith in Christ, being those 
who hear the third commandment and pay heed to it. May we, O God, not take thy name in vain. And we'll bless thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen.